I'm so privileged to bring God's word this morning. Um, Andrew last week uh, started a new series that we will be looking at this uh, autumn or fall. And the series that we are going to be looking at is <clears throat> the word and the spirit. And it is important for us uh, to look at the word uh, of God so that you know, we can really get into the meat and the gritty of the word of God and gain an understanding of what God is speaking to us. But as well, it is important for us to welcome and acknowledge the Holy Spirit because it is, it is him who inspires us and who, who opens up our understanding into ministry of what Jesus wants us to do. So without much ado, I'm going to be speaking from Hebrews 1 this morning and the text is going to come on your screen. I've titled my, my talk today, God Has Spoken. And I read, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, and through him also he made the universe. The Son is the radiant of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification of sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he has, a much, he has become a much superior to the angels as to the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Now we have sung these words this morning of how the name of Jesus is great, how the name of Jesus is above all other names. And I just want to unpack this text this morning and dig in and, and, and find out the truth of what God is speaking to us. And the question that many people ask is, does God really speak? Does God really speak? To me, in my vocation, in my depression, in my time of need, does God really speak? Yes, I can hear God speaking to other people, but does God really speak to me? Yes, I have been in meetings whereby someone has rose and given a prophetic word and said that God is speaking this to us. But does he really speak to me? And that is a question some of you might be posing this morning. But taking from our text today, God is answering that question so powerfully and saying, yes, I do. He's saying, I am not a silent God as you might think. I am not a distant God as you might think. I am a God who actually speaks. Now, how does God speak? It is a question that you might be asking, how? Does God speak? Yes, I can hear that God is speaking. Yes, I have heard people say that God is speaking. But how does he actually speak? And how does he speak to me? On, in last week, Andrew looked at Psalm 19. And this psalm actually screams out that God speaks. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. 
They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out in all the earth. They are words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. God is speaking to us through creation. And I'm not going to dwell a lot about that because Andrew really dived into that word last week. God is speaking to us through creation. When we look around us, the beauty of creation, the stars, the heavens, the galaxies, we are kind of intruded by what is happening out there. And God is clearly portraying a message that he is the creator. And this perfect kind of creation has a creator. But there is a problem with that analogy. There is a problem because even though we know and we understand that God speaks through creation, that message is inconsistent. Just this week, and even right now, we have heard of earthquakes, we have heard of storms, we have heard of hurricanes, and people have been devastated by the instability of the atmosphere, if you may. And you look at that and you think, if this is a perfect God who, who speaks through creation, what kind of a message is he communicating? So even though we look at creation, we cannot look at creation alone and be satisfied that God actually speaks. Because the creation is inconsistent. Now our text said that in the past, God spoke through the prophet at many times and in various ways. The second way I want to put to you, based on the word that God speaks, God speaks through prophets. God in the past has spoken to us through prophets. Now these prophets did not dream of being prophets. These were men who God chose to be his mouthpiece. He called them in various ways and in various forms. He communicated his message through them. Now, I've been studying some prophets this week and I've been so excited and so fascinated by some of their lives. And as the text says here, God spoke in various ways and at many times through these prophets. I was looking at Moses, how God called him through a burning bush and told him, you are going to be a leader of my people coming out of Egypt to the land that I, am go- I had promised them. And God performed so many miracles by the hand of Moses, by bringing out locusts, by bringing out flies, by bringing out storms, by bringing out frogs, by changing water into wine, so that he can convey a message to Pharaoh that, let my people go. And God worked great wonders and miracles by the hand of Moses, communicating to his people, I am with you, and at the same time communicating to their enemies or their captors that release my people, let them go. God spoke through Ezekiel, Ezekiel was a priest who had been uh, 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 taken into captivity in Babylon with other Israelites when Babylon conquered Jerusalem. Now, God spoke to Ezekiel through dreams. 
And if you look at the life of Ezekiel, how God communicated that message and conveyed him is so fascinating. He would give Ezekiel these visions, and then Ezekiel would act out these visions to communicate the message that God was giving him. On one occasion, Ezekiel had to bound himself in ropes and lie on one side for a thousand days. And in those a thousand days, he was eating food from the dirt and communicating to the people of Israel that this is how you are going to be in time of your bondage because you have been captured and taken into captivity. On another occasion, Ezekiel becomes a lawyer and he argues the case that actually Israel has run away from God and that is the reason why they are in captivity. So he lays out his case point by point to prove to the people that you have actually rebelled from God and that is why you are in this situation. But the message of Ezekiel also carried hope. Hope God communicating to the people, regardless of your hard hearts of stone, I'm going to soften those hearts. And I will give you a new heart that will long and desire to worship me. In one of the analogies, Ezekiel sees this valley full of dry bones. And God asks him a question, can these bones come to life? And Ezekiel says, only you, Lord, can make them alive. And God actually demonstrates that by breathing new life in these bones, and they become alive. To symbolize that the dead kind of life that the children of Israel are living in in the land of Babylon, God is going to breathe new life in their dead bones, in their dead nature, and bring out a new heart into them that will, hope, that will worship him. I look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah had no choice. He was called to be a prophet when he was still in his mother's womb. And all his life, Jeremiah walked the streets of Jerusalem. All his life, he, he preached a sermon all his life. God gave him so many pictures, so many dreams, so many visions that he had to hire a secretary to write it all down. In all this, God is trying to communicate to the people about his intentions. And there came a time Jeremiah had to walk every day with a yoke on his shoulders as he walked in the streets of Jerusalem preaching the gospel. It is so strange for someone to wear a yoke on their shoulders and walk day by day. God was really trying to communicate a message to his people. I look at Hosea. Hosea is a really, really fascinating story. God actually asked him to marry a prostitute. And he told him, marry this prostitute and have children with her. And Hosea obeyed marrying a prostitute and bearing children with that prostitute. And every time that he would try to bring this woman close to her, she would run off with another man. She would be seen there and seen that and she would be halloting all over the place. But Hosea remained faithful to this woman. And at some point, he went and purchased her from where she was practicing her prostitution. 
In all of this, God to communicate a message to you and me that we have, we who have become harlots, going all over the place, doing adultery, doing idolatry, Jesus has sacrificed himself by purchasing us by his blood to make us children of God. I look at Joseph. Joseph dreamed dreams. Dreams that enabled him to communicate a message to the king that saved his brothers and saved the whole nation of Egypt from hunger and starvation. Because he received these dreams from God, interpreted them, and the nation was saved as a result of it. I look at Elijah. Elijah who preached the gospel and said that my God is greater, my God is mightier, the God of Israel is greater. And he dared the prophets of Baal. And he assembled them in the valley of the Dre. And he made a demonstration that you pray to your God to bring fire from heaven and consume your sacrifice. And they couldn't do it after spending the whole day cutting and chopping themselves. But Elijah called on the name of the Lord. And the sacrifice was consumed. The stones were consumed. The water was consumed. Everything was consumed by fire from above. And on that day, 450 fake prophets were slain because God wanted to communicate a message that I am a God who lives and reigns forevermore. I look at Isaiah. Isaiah walked naked on the streets of Jerusalem for three years. Stand naked, communicating that you, there is a distraction that is pending. Repent, turn away. And he walked naked because God told him so. Walk naked for three years in the streets and preach the gospel. And he, he, he obeyed and walked preaching the gospel. What am I trying to say? God communicated his message through the prophets. In various ways, in various forms. But the problem is, the, pro- the message of the prophets is incomprehensible. What do I mean? Peter commending on this says in First Peter chapter 1 from verse 9, he says, For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the suffering of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. Peter commenting on this period where God spoke to the prophet, Peter is saying that, the prophet themselves were actually conveying this message, but they could not comprehend it themselves. They could not understand at time what is God speaking about. Because some of the things that they spoke about would not come till thousands and thousands years to come. So they were relaying this message to the people, but they could not even understand the message themselves. We see this clearly when, when the prophets tell us You know that there will be a Messiah coming who will sit on the throne of David, who will rule with an iron rod. And then at the same time, they say that the the Messiah will be rejected by men, will be a man of sorrows and are familiar with grief. 
So they couldn't comprehend the message. How can this Messiah, who would sit at the throne of David, rule with an iron rod, also be a man of suffering? How could he also be a man whose, in his physical nature, nobody would desire anything? They couldn't comprehend the message that they were bringing. So God speaks through creation. But the message is inconclusive. He speaks through the prophets. But the message is incomprehensible. God speaks again to us through our conscience. And God has has made us alert. Each individual here on earth, God has made you alert of what is right and what is wrong. If you want to take a test, go in the most indigenous place of the earth where nobody has ever heard of God or the gospel. If you ask them how they live and their practices of life, because this has been discovered time and time again, you will find that all of them are living with the morals of life. In every culture, they will say, murder, do not murder. They will say, do not steal. They will have all those virtues that make up the commandments of God, even though they have never ever heard about God. So why is that so? Because in every man's conscience, God has planted the thought that there is a God and you are going to be accountable. But there is a problem with our conscience. Not all the time our conscience is right. Because the enemy, the devil, has found a way of playing and manipulating our conscience. And sometimes we can be convicted of something thinking that we are on the right path, but we are not. A son and his father and mother were having dinner. And the son goes, Shh, listen, listen, mom and dad, listen, listen, do you hear that buzzing sound? So they, shh, then they listen. Son, there is nothing, there is no buzzing sound. Then they continue eating. Oh, mommy, mommy, listen, listen, please listen. Can't you hear that? It's so loud. And the, shh, son, there is nothing. Then the third time the mom goes, Checks in the ear. There is a bug. <laughs> there is a food bug in the ear of the sun. It's just... <laughs> so the sun is going, oh, can you hear that? Can you hear that? They can't hear, but he is hearing it. And sometimes our conscience can speak to us like that. They can bring in buzzes into our ears that we can think, oh, this is God. He's speaking to me like this. But the reality is far from the truth. Take the life of Saul before he became Paul. He was so convinced in his conscience that he was doing God a favor by going around persecuting Christians. And he was so zealous in his belief that he believed that he is actually on the right path until Jesus knocked him on the road to Damascus and told him, it is I who you are persecuting. So we cannot rely on creation. We cannot rely on the prophets. We cannot rely on our conscience. So, if we can't, then we have a problem. Or do we? So, God decided to solve this once and for all. How? Through incarnation. Through incarnation, God solved the problem of communication once and for all. The message became the messenger, and the messenger was the message. 
John puts it this way in 1 John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, I mean, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And then John throws in a bombshell and says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace, and truth. The mystery of God has been revealed through incarnation. That God has decided to come and pitch a tent with us. He has come and become one of us. He has come and become a part of us. Why would he do that? But how could he do that? I'm sitting at my house, a lovely house. I love my house. I'm sitting there. I'm relaxed. And I look outside on my lawn. I see millions and thousands of ants. They have formed lines and they are headed in my house. Now I'm sitting there thinking, what are they doing? They are coming and I'm watching them come. And at the back of my mind, I know what will happen the moment they reach in my house. The moment they're going to reach in my house, I'm going to get out a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> and I'm going to suck them all into a darkness of abyss where there is grilling and gnashing of teeth. <laughs> now, I love these ants. I really don't want to suck them into eternal abyss. So what do I do? I stand and shout, hey, ants, come on, change course. You are coming towards me, don't come. Come on, back off, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. But you see, I'm too big. The ants can't see me. I shout there, I wave. They just keep coming. And I say, what, what, what am I going to do? I have to do something. So what do I do? I get some lights. And I flash lights, blue, green, yellow, white. That is the universe and the creation. And the, the ants look up and they say, wow. There is something huge out there. Wow, amazing. But they still continue coming. And I'm like, what am I going to do? I really don't want to suck you up. So I put, I raise up some ants and I told them, I speak to them, I tell them, you go speak to your brothers and sisters. Tell them of this looming disaster that is coming. So these little ants try to com communicate to other ants. There is someone out there saying that he's going to destroy us. We need to change course. But they say, ah, forget it. There is nothing out there. And they keep coming. So I say, what do I do? So I decide, I'll become an ant. I'll become an ant, and I'll go down there, and I'll tell the ants, fellas, I come from above. Where you are headed is my house. I live in there. And if you go in there, I'm going to suck you up in the utter darkness. Unless you change the course, you are going to be destroyed. And guess what? I'm not leaving you on your own. I'm going to lead you out. 
So the ants have a choice. They have a choice to listen to one of them who came from above and say, okay, we're going to change the course and go where we are being led. Or they have a choice to say, no, we are going to continue on the course that we are on. And we all know the result of each path. So the reason why God came, the reason why God had to come to you and to me was to level up with you so that he can communicate to you and say, hey, I am God, I created you. I know that the path that you are taking is the wrong path. And I am here so that I can lead you to the right path. So follow me, I will lead you on. But if you choose not to follow me, then continue on the path that you are on and you are going to head in destruction. So the fourth way that God communicates to us is by his son. The Bible says that, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The final way, the only way God speaks is his son. God has spoken and there is nothing more to say. There is nothing else to say. All that God ever wanted to speak, he has spoken by his son. Now I happen to travel and go to Paris. I've never been to Paris. (laughs) If I get there to Paris and visit some museums, I might end up going into a museum where there is this painting. Now, everybody knows that painting. What's that painting? That is an incredible painting. It was painted in 1969, I think. And at the time of its painting, that painting was valued at 100 million US dollars. That is in 1969. If you put that in today's economy, it's around 800 million dollars. Now, what if I go to the museum and I'm looking at this painting and I say, hmm, Mona Lisa looks a little bit, so let me get some color and I get some color and let me try to repaint her a little bit. Anybody who is seeing me or watching me will be like, what are you doing? Are you crazy? She is complete. The picture is done. There is nothing that... Can we go back to the previous one? There is nothing you can add on. There is nothing you can remove on. She is perfect. It's a masterpiece. You can't change anything. And that is exactly what Christ is... What God is communicating to us. He's saying, listen to me. I have spoken to you. And the only channel I'm speaking to you is my son. He is the only way I'll speak to you. He is the only channel I'm giving to you to speak to you. So reject any other channel, any other form of communication that will come to say, in place of my son, we are speaking. So if someone comes out there with another gospel, with another teaching, with another God that is not the son of God, that gospel should be rejected that gospel should be done away with. Because God is saying, Christ is the masterpiece. Listen to him. Follow him. 
Galatians, actually Paul reinstates this by saying, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one who was preached to you, let them be under God's curse. Paul is telling people, look at Jesus, focus on Jesus, let Jesus be the center of your attention. Now why is this? Because from that text, the text we read, God says that he has appointed him heir of all things. God has appointed this Christ to be heir of all things. Which means that everything that we can ever desire, everything that we can ever want, it is found in Jesus. He owns it. So all we have to do is ask him. So we have no reason whatsoever to look for another gospel, to look for another way, because Jesus can satisfy us in each and every way. Not only he is the heir of all things, he's also the radiant of God's glory. According to the text, it says, the son is the radiant of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Now we see the son, but nobody has ever got near to the sun. We just see the rays of the sun. Now the son Jesus, when he came, he displaced the rays of the father. He was the radiant of the father's glory. We cannot at this time approach near the glory of God and look at it face to face. But Christ displaced that rays of the father. And that is why God is saying, look at my son. He is the reflection of my character and of my glory. So God is saying, I have spoken perfectly. I have spoken completely. I have spoken fully in the person of my son. All you will ever need to know, you will know by looking at him. Look at what Peter says in 2 Peter 1. Peter says, for we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. Now, this is amazing. Peter is saying that the words that we are speaking to you, the words that are being written by the apostles and the words that have been written by the writers are not just mere words that we are fabricating. But Peter is saying that we were eyewitnesses to this Savior, to this God that became man. And Peter is saying we heard the voice of God when we were at the mountain. Remember this period whereby Peter, John, and James, Jesus took them to the mountain of transfiguration. And then before them, Christ was transfigured and his face shone like the sun. And then a cloud covered them and there was a great light and it appeared he was talking to Moses and Elijah. And Peter says, oh, it is good that you are here because we are going to make three tents, one for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And a voice came down from heaven and declared, this is my son whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. What God was communicating to Peter at that time and to everybody was that you are not going to put Jesus in the place of Moses or Elijah. You are not going to put him in the same bar as the prophets and as the law. This is my son. The channel that I want my word to be communicated to is through my son. And, and Peter confirms that in his word. So, how does this help me? Knowing that the only way God is now communicating to me is through this, his son. I want to share with you three 
things very quickly. Number one, it helps me understand God's word. By knowing that Jesus is the only channel whereby God wants to communicate to me, it helps me understand his word. I can go back to Genesis 3 and go back to the Garden of Aden where Adam and Eve have sinned and they are hiding away from God. And God comes walking in the garden and says, Adam, where are you? Now, at many times, I have read that text. Adam, where are you? Where are you, Adam? What have you done? With an angry God, so eager to punish and and to do evil, a God who wants to exert his authority and power. But no, the word is saying that, look at Jesus. So I go, I follow Jesus. And I find Jesus at another garden, the garden of Gethsemane. And he is praying for me, sweating sweat like blood. And there comes another person, his betrayer, Judas. And Jesus looks at Judas in the garden of Gethsemane. And he says, friend, what do you seek? He calls his staunch enemy who would betray him a friend. So by understanding Jesus, I now go back to the garden of Eden. And I find God. And now, no longer I hear God saying, Adam, where are you? I hear God saying, Adam, where are you? Where are you, Adam? I have come to commune with you. I have come to fellowship with you. I have come to enjoy the creation that I have created with you. Where are you? And I still can hear that voice of God ringing in my life every day. In the middle of the day, God is ringing in my ear. Where are you, Felix? I am lost in gossip. He's asking me, where are you? I want to have fellowship with you. I am lost in just doing church, so busy. Where are you? Oh, I'm busy. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. Where are you? And he's asking you the same question this hour. Where are you? Because I want to have fellowship with you. I want to communicate with you. I want to to show you greater things that you don't understand. Come, have fellowship with me. So I see Jesus. I read the Ten Commandments. And all I see is, you will not steal. You will not murder. You will not do this. You will not that, that. And I say, wow, this is just too much. This is so heavy on my shoulders. I cannot bear this law. But then I follow Jesus. And they bring him a woman, ready to stone this woman because he has been caught in adultery. They are calling, you shall not commit adultery. They are bailing for her brother and they say, Jesus, what should we do? Should we kill her? Should we stone her? And I see Jesus retreating and drawing in the ground and looking at them, the accusers, and telling them, if any of you has no sin, let him be the one to cast the first stone. And one by one, each one of them, they drop their stones and they walk off. And Jesus speaks to the woman, tells her, who are your accusers? And the woman says, nobody. And Jesus tells her, and neither do I accuse you. Go and don't sin again. 
And then I go back to the throne. I look at the Ten Commandments again. And not anymore are they screaming at me, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not do this. And I hear them speaking to me. You shall not commit adultery. You are free. You shall not steal. Because you are free. You don't need to. You don't have to. You are free. You shall honor your mother and father. You are free from that bondage of being rebellious. You shall love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, because he's so good for you. Now those commandments, they start sounding in love, in communion with God. So we can just go through every scripture and we can read the scripture in the lens of Jesus Christ. Every time you encounter a scripture, look at it in the lens of Jesus. And anything that doesn't measure in the lens of Jesus is not the true heart of God. Because God says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. The biggest mistake we make is we have allowed prophets to interpret Jesus. We have allowed apostles to interpret Jesus. Jesus interprets the prophets. Jesus interprets the apostles. It should always start with Jesus, not the apostles, not the prophets, not our conscience, not the creation. It should start with the creator, then the creation. Number two, it helps me understand God's ways. When I look at the word, I see a compassionate and loving God. A God who heals those that come to him. A God who becomes a shepherd when he finds those that are around him without a leader. A God who provides bread for those that are in need. A God who, who is the light of the world and who is the resurrection. They brought to him a boy and they say, who sinned? that this boy is blind from birth, this man. And Jesus told them, neither the mother nor the father sinned for this man to be blind. But it has done so, so that God might be glorified through him. I read the scripture and I never see anywhere God says, you haven't been healed because you lack faith. I don't see anywhere in the word God saying, you are not being successful because of your sins. I see a father who is so loving, who is so caring, who doesn't look at me, but looks at his son and what his son has done in my place. And that is the eyes and the lens that we need to interpret the scripture. So what if this problem that I've been going through in these times does God speak in this situation? Look at his son. That question that is lingering in your mind, God has addressed it, has answered it through his son. Lastly, it helps me understand God's will. The biggest question we wrestle with is, what is God's will for my life? I'm trying to make this decision. What kind of a decision is it going to be? Should I go to the left? Should I go to the right? What decision should I take in this situation? God, what is your will? And we, sp we spend hours and days and years and months, you know, trying to discern what is God's will for my life. God has already 
defined his will for your life. And his will is for you to listen to his son. Every problem that you are going through, he has addressed it. You say, God, I want, I want just to hear you audibly. I want to listen to you. Speak to me, speak to me. In Exodus 19, they say that. They say, Moses, we want to hear God's voice. We want, to, we want God to speak to us. We want to listen to him. And Moses took them to the mountain. And then the earthquake started. The mountain started shaking. Smoke arose. And they say, no, 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 Moses. We don't want to hear the voice of God. You go speak to him. We will listen. You speak to him. And God said, I will speak again. And then Elijah, in his depression, wanting to commit suicide, he is looking at the face of God saying, God, speak to me. And God appears to him in a mountain. And there is a great storm that shakes the mountain until the mountain splits. And then there is an earthquake that shakes the earthquake. And and Elijah thinks, oh, this time around, God is going to be in the earthquake. And God is not in the earthquake. And God is not in the storm. Then there is a fire, a huge fire that consumes this this mountain. And Elijah thinks, oh, God is going to be in the fire. And God is not in the fire. But then Elijah hears a voice, a whisper. And God is reaching to him through a whisper, through a quiet voice. And what they were expecting on Mount Sinai, saying that we will die, God spoke that clearly on the mount of Calvary, where his son was nailed to the cross. And at that point, everything became dead. Everything was quiet. Darkness consumed the earth. And in a whisper, God was saying, I love you this much. And I am going to speak to you, not through storms and fires and earthquake, but I'm going to speak to you through the whisper my son, through the whisper, the wind of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we don't hear the voice of God because we are so busy looking for drama. We want to hear the mountain shake. We want to see the earth burst. Then we will think, oh, God is speaking to me. And we forget the whisper. It is the whisper. Right now, he is whispering to your heart. Every day in your life as you walk, he is whispering to your heart. You are not going to see him splitting mountain and splitting rocks. He is going to come just by that whisper. You listen to that inner voice from Christ. You read the word and listen to that inner voice in the word. You are told, serve in this ministry. You say, I'm going to pray to God. I have to listen to God. And then for days, for years, for months, you have been praying, oh, they've asked me to to do children's work. God, is, is it your will? Should I do it or should I not? Oh, I'm not able to do it. God has spoken through his word, through the son. And he has used imperfect people before to do his work. You already know his will for your life. You don't need to be perfect. He spoke to Noah, yet Noah was a drunk. He spoke to Abraham, yet Abraham was too old. He spoke through Isaac, yet Isaac was a daydreamer. He used Jacob, he was a liar. Leah was ugly. Joseph was abused. 
Moses was stammering. Samson had long hair and a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. Jesus denied God. Yet all these people, regardless of their inabilities, Christ spoke something in their life and they say, we are going. So what is he speaking to you? That you are dilly-dallying, saying, oh God, I'm praying, I want to hear your voice, I want to see your will. He has already communicated his will for your life. All you have to do is go. Don't shut your ears. Open your eyes and go, because you know his will for your life. His will is for you to go and be a witness, and it's for you to go and make disciples. So grab the opportunity and go. Look into his word and learn from the sun. Shall we all stand? I don't know what this word speaks to you this morning. James tells us that we should be more of doers of the word than hearers. And blessed is the man, blessed is the woman who will read these words and say in their hearts, God, I desire to do this. I desire to walk with you in this. Because that is the man, the woman that God will use for his kingdom. We shouldn't switch off our ears but we should be open to what God wants to do in our life. He has already commissioned us to go and bear fruit. And now the ball is in our court. He has equipped us by his son that whatever he has commanded us to do, we have the authority, the power to walk into that. So we can say we are feeble, we are afraid. Or we can take the tools that he has given us and we can say, we will run with this. So I want to pray, as you even pray, that Christ will be revealed afresh to your heart. That you will look at the scriptures differently than you have looked at them before. And in every situation of your life, you will see Christ and God through it. Shall we pray?